So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And last week, I'm not going to say this slow enough for you to write it down. You can go back and watch the sermon from last week if you want to. We said heaven is a place that's real. We're going to have real bodies. We're going to live on a real earth forever with God. Heaven's a place that's real. It's a place that's going to remain. Heaven is a place that's made ready. It's a place of relationships. It's a place of relief. It's a place of restoration. And it's a place that's restricted. It's only for those who repent of their sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ to be saved. We want to pick up there today in Revelation chapter 21. And the first thing that I want to say to you is this. Heaven is a place that is really big. It's like I, I got out of bed and came to church just for you to break that news to me, Copernicus. That heaven is a place that's really big. Well, it is really big. And, and the particular part of heaven that we're going to be looking at today isn't even the new heavens. It's not even the new earth. It's actually smaller than that. And it's still big. But we're going to be looking at the capital city of the new heaven and the new earth, the holy city. It's also called the new Jerusalem. So hang on tight. Verse 9 says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. If you've been with us in the study of Revelation, you may remember the seven bowl judgments were the last judgments that God poured out on the earth during the tribulation. And those were the rapid fire judgments that He dumped out in the final moments of the tribulation. One of those angels who had poured those judgments out is now talking to John. And John says, He spoke to me saying, Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Well, the Bible describes us as God's people as the bride of Christ, the, the wife of the Lamb. But here I think it means more than just New Testament saints, people who've come to know Jesus in the church age, but I think it's kind of an all-encompassing term for Old Testament believers and New Testament believers and tribulation believers and millennial believers. It's all of us who have named the name of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord who are now inhabiting this city, this holy city called the New Jerusalem. Verse 10 says, And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city. This is the capital city, I believe, of the new heaven and the new earth. Coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now listen, that's the summary statement that describes what this capital city, the new Jerusalem, is going to be like. It has the glory of God. It is dripping with the glory of God. Every attribute of the perfect character of God is on display in this city and in undiminished sort of way. And John goes on and says it's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Uh, this is probably not the same jasper stone that we think of today, jasper stone. It's probably closer to, if not exactly, what we would think of in terms of a diamond. Although our fallen eyes and this fallen world have yet to see a perfect diamond. But this is going to be a perfect diamond-like thing, brilliant light beaming through it in a huge perfect, flawless way, refracting the light of the glory of God through this diamond in every single direction. And then John starts to go in a little more detail. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Now let me help you kind of understand this. We're going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit, but this city is, is in the shape of what seems to be a cube. And so you've got 12 gates in the walls of the city. Think of this in terms of three gates on one side, three gates on the other side, three gates on that side, and three gates on this side. And the Bible says that at each gate, there's an angel that's stationed there. Now, I don't, when I read that, I don't really see 
a human-sized creature with wings and a halo or a little fat naked baby with a harp or a bow and arrow. That's really not what I'm seeing here. In fact, I think probably these are uh, angels that are going to be enormous in their size. And we need to remember that God has all kinds of created beings. There's different kinds of angels. We know about cherubims, and they're different from seraphims, and they're different from archangels, and they're different from the, the living beast that are encircled around the throne of God that's there in heaven. So some of these creatures, I think, are enormous. Each of these 12 that are stationed around the gates of the holy city of the New Jerusalem, they may be enormous. You say, why do you think that they may be enormous? Well, we do know that when these angels are praising God in heaven, they shake the place, right? Now, if you're big enough to shake the foundations of heaven, you got to be pretty big, all right? And, and, and so try to get that in, into your mind. And you've got these 12 gates, an angel stationed at each one, and each gate has the name of one of Jacob's 12 sons. Jacob, a.k.a. his name became Israel. Now, why would God put the names of Israel's sons, Jacob's sons, on the gate? Well, I think this is one of God's ways of commemorating His covenant to His people Israel in the Old Testament. It's a reminder of the promises that He made to Abraham that I talk with our boys and girls about when we're doing the timeline, right? Land, lots of children, lots of land, a blessing to the nations of the earth. It's to commemorate His promise to Abraham, His promise to David. It's to commemorate the old covenant that happened at Mount Sinai. It's there to remind the people of God's faithfulness. The verse goes on to say, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. Now that's kind of interesting because that's a throwback to the Old Testament. You remember when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery? They get into the wilderness and they set up camp out there. They set up the same way. There's three tribes of the sons of Israel on one side, three tribes of the sons of Israel on another, and so on and so forth around the city. You can look back to Numbers chapter 2 when you wake up today and, uh, <laughs> and check that out for yourself. Verse 14 says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. Now, in my mind, I sort of see it like this, that you've got this, this great big city with this squared wall around it, twelve gates, twelve big angels, and then underneath each gate, there's a giant foundation stone. The wall of the city had twelve foundations. So, so in my mind, I see this huge foundation stone under each of the twelve gates. And on those Foundation stones, verse 14 says, were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So here, just as God with the names of Israel on the gates, God puts the name of His apostles on the foundation stones. Now He's celebrating the New Testament. Now He's celebrating the new covenant that He made through his, the blood of His Son Jesus at the cross to redeem His church. So we've got kind of the old covenant and the new covenant represented here. And on these foundation stones, we've got the names of the apostles. Now, in my mind, I think that I could sort of envision that each foundation stone could be the width of if you put the state of Alabama and the state of Mississippi together. And I'll, I'll show you why in a minute that I kind of just imagine the foundation stones being just that big. Verse 15 says, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. I'm going to tell you, heaven's a really big place. Verse 16 says, The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. 12,000 stadia equals to about 1,400 miles. 
So it's 1,400 miles all the way around one direction, that direction, that direction, that direction, right? And then 1,400 miles high. And he also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. That comes to about 72 yards. Just the wall around the city is about 72 yards thick, all right? That's wider than any freeway you've ever driven on, all right? And that's the top of the wall. That's the thickness of the wall. Now, um, to kind of put this in a nutshell, we don't really know if this is literal, to be honest, or figurative. I always lean toward literal. That's just the way I lean usually. Uh, but I can tell you this. Even if it's not literal, rest assured, our minds cannot begin to fathom the bigness of this place. Our minds cannot begin to fathom what God has in store for those who love Him. But let's say, let's say it's literal. It's 1,400 miles in every direction. Look, look at the picture of the United States here. I kind of put this together for you the other day. So I put the southeastern corner of the wall on top of us there in McCalla. Can we put that back up there? There you go. And so 1,400 miles straight shot, but you can't do a straight shot. If you map this on your phone, it's going to be more miles than this because you've got to go over the hills and valleys and plains and all that stuff. But straight shot, 1,400 miles from where we're sitting right now takes you almost to Los Angeles. That's one side of the city. And then you go up pretty deep up there into Canada, as you can see, back across to eastern Canada, then all the way back down to where we are right now. Now, now some of you, um, there's not a lot, I don't see a lot of campers in this room. In the 8 o'clock hour, all the camping people, all the motorhome people were in the 8 o'clock service. And I, I said to them, I said, now imagine that you got froggy and decided, hey, I, I want to take my, my camper and I want to just drive around the outside of the city. If you, if you could do that, driving 70 miles an hour, and never stop to go to the bathroom, never stop to eat, never stop at all, driving 70 miles an hour, it would take you three days and eight hours to get all the way around that city. Now, I also think because there's 12 gates, three on each side, that would probably mean about every 460 miles or so, you get to another gate. So if you started, for example, at one side of Alabama and you drove to the other side of Mississippi, you would get to another gate. Every 460 miles, you'd get to another gate, another foundation stone, another angel. So you, you left Alabama, you left where we are right now, and you'd get to about the border of Texas, maybe. And, and then you get to the next gate, just inside New Mexico, maybe. And, and, then, and then the next ga the gate begins and takes you all the way to L.A. And it just continues around the city like that. So, but here's the kicker. Whew, pacemaker went crazy there for a minute. So I put a post-it note. This kind of represents the size that you just saw up there on the map. Can everybody see that? Put a post-it note on top of the United States here. And by the way, I'm not saying the New Jerusalem is going to be on top of the United States. It's going to be a new earth. There will be no United States. All right? All the other kings and kingdoms will have vanished. We'll be before one king and one kingdom forevermore. That's really good news. So this is kind of the dimensions that we just talked about. But the Bible describes that this city is also 1,400 miles high. Now, let, let me help you understand how tall 1,400 miles high is. Anybody ever uh, tracked the International Space Station, gone outside? Every now and then you can go outside and catch it in orbit as it goes by. Anybody done that? Okay, a few nerds like me in the room. All right, cool. Kind of fun to see. 
The International Space Station is in orbit at about 230 miles high above the Earth. That would take you to about the top of my first little stack of post-it notes here, the, the yellow ones. Can you see the yellow ones? Yeah. The International Space Station right now is orbiting at about right there. The capital city of the new heaven and the new earth is going to be about seven times higher than where the International Space Station is orbiting right now. Now you're wondering, well, how much room is that exactly? Well, let's just pretend that in the new Jerusalem that there's 200 floors. It's divided up into 200 different floors that you could live on if you wanted to, or visit, or party, or eat, or whatever. It's heaven. Free will do what you want without sinning. <laughs> 200 floors would, would mean that on each floor you would have a ceiling not 8 feet high or 10 feet high, not even a grand 20 feet high. Each floor would have a ceiling height of 35,000 feet. That's cruising altitude for a commercial airplane. If you were to take all those 200 floors and lay them out, the surface area of those floors would be two times the amount of the surface area of the entire earth right now. And that's just the capital city of the new heaven and the new earth. It, if, here's another way to think about it. Right now there's 8 billion people on the planet. Not quite, but almost. All these young couples, God's bringing a grace life. We can't, we're probably going to bust through 8 billion pretty soon. All right? <laughs> 8 billion people. Now, if you were to put 8 billion people inside this city, how, how crowded would it be? Well, each individual, one person, could have a 35-acre plot with a ceiling height of 35,000 miles. I'm telling you this morning, heaven is really big. And that's just the capital city of the new heaven and the new earth. It is enormous. And John says the whole thing is shining like a diamond, brilliant with the glory of God. So you have this massive city, and then here is what the whole thing's made out of. Number two, heaven is a place of riches. What kind of construction materials? I mean, to build something this big, you've got to cut some corners and find some cheap materials, right? Oh, no. This is God's city. This is a city not made by human hands, is what the Bible says in Hebrews. Heaven is a place of riches. Verse 18 says, the wall was built of jasper. That again is diamond, in other words. Some of you ladies who have on your wedding ring, you have a beautiful diamond, and it's set inside a prong, right? The showcase of your ring is the diamond. The prong's just there to showcase it. Well, in heaven, the prong is the walls around the city, and the showcase of the prong, the prong itself is diamond, right? Think about that. You're showcasing what the prong of heaven, the wall, is actually made of. And the city, Preston, you're right, was pure gold, like clear glass. We've not even seen gold like this before. In fact, I'm about to read a bunch of jewels to you, emeralds to you, and we've not seen anything like this. John tries to describe them, but these are perfect. And our eyes are imperfect. We've never seen anything close to this, but this gives you sort of an idea of what this place looks like. Verse 19, the riches of it. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. 
The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. Now I don't know, y'all, if that single pearl is 460 miles wide or how many miles high that single pearl may be. But I'm telling you, this place is big, and it's a place of riches. And the street of the city, I told you kids, was pure gold. Gold to God is so cheap, He's paving streets with it. They're pure gold, transparent glass. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you today, heaven is a really big place. Heaven is a place of riches. Number three, heaven is a place of refuge. Verse 22, John says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple... It's the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Up until now, there's been a temple in heaven. As we have read through the book of Revelation, we've seen the temple in heaven, but it's no longer there. Now, in the new heaven and the new earth, there's going to be no need for a temple. No need at all. All of life will be worshipped. Everywhere you go, you are in the glory and the presence of God. His glory is on display everywhere. You will constantly, no matter if you're on the first floor or the 200th floor, if you're way up there looking down on if there was an international space station, His glory is going to be radiant no matter where you may be. Even if you go out to explore a whole other planet in the new heavens, His glory is going to be radiant there. There's going to be no need for a temple. You're going to be in a place of worship the whole time. And when I say worship, don't think about music necessarily. Don't think about a church service. All of life is going to be worship. Everything that you're doing in a real body, on a real earth, in a real place, is going to be worship. Jesus, as he's talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he told her, he said, the Father is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. And when we get to Revelation chapter 22, the Father finally has what he's been looking for. Redeemed people who are worshiping him fully. And for us, that place will not only be a place of worship, but it'll be a place where we find refuge. Because we enjoy the presence of God in that place. A place of refuge like we've always wanted. No kidding, this morning I was driving in here uh, and I was listening to the radio and a song came on. I'm not making this up. I'm lying, I'm dying. I was like, man, perfect song, Lord, for you know theme music on my way to church today. You couldn't have planned that any better. Cochran and Company. It's Greg and his family. Greg, I think, was singing this. and uh, Just kidding. I don't think that's that Cochran. But it is a group called Cochran and Company. And they have a song. I think it's called One Day. Here it is. I got to the office and I printed it out. Think about heaven being this place of refuge. One day there will be no more waiting left for our souls. One day there will be no more children longing for home. One day when the kingdom comes right here where we stand, we will see the promised land. One day there will be no more lives taken too soon. One day there will be no more need for a hospital room. One day every tear that falls will be wiped by His hand. We will see the promised land. Hallelujah, there will be healing from this heartbreak we've been feeling. We'll sing in the darkest night because we know that the light will come and there will be healing. Hallelujah. One day there will be no more anger left in our eyes. One day the color of our skin won't cause a divide. One day we'll be family standing hand in hand and we'll see the promised land. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. One day when our tired and weary bones find their rest. One day when the power of evil is brought to an end, 
we will see the promised land. Hallelujah, there will be healing from this heartbreak that we've been feeling. We'll sing in the darkest night because we know that the light will come and there will be healing. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, man, heaven is a place that is really big. And heaven is a place of riches like you can't imagine. And heaven is a place of refuge. Number four, heaven is a place of radiance. Verse 23 says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The new heaven and the new earth, they're not going to be ruled by the sun or by the moon. You won't be doing that dreaded thing there that we've got to do next weekend. Turn the clocks back an hour. Uh, is anybody excited about that? Nobody's going to raise their hand now because we just murmured and complained. Somebody's like, yeah, it's my favorite. It may be your favorite. I don't know, but it's kind of weird. We're not going to need the sun and the moon in this place. There's not going to be any more clocks to turn back. There's no time in eternity. And we're not going to need them to give us light. And we won't need electricity. The glory of God will keep the place as the kids say, lit. <laughs> Verse 24, and literally lit. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Listen, any glory that any person ever had on this earth, it'll be brought into heaven, and it'll be laid at the feet of Jesus. All the glory will be His Forever. The kings and the beggars will be wrapped in the same glory in this place. Verse 25 says, And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. In ancient times, ancient cities closed their gates at night to keep out violence, to keep out robbers, to keep the place safe and secure. But these gates in heaven are never going to be shut. God will be using that as an illustration to send a message that this is a place that is safe. Evil is gone. It's a place of security and rest. Verse 26, they'll bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. All the glory and the honor that any nation has ever been able to claim will be given to the Lord Jesus. And it will shine with His glory and His glory alone. It'll be a place of radiance. Number five, it's going to be a place of righteousness. Verse 27 says, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We've already talked about the Lamb's book of life early in the book of Revelation. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life one way and one way only, by repenting of your sin and turning by grace through faith to the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, to take your sin away, and to reconcile you to God. If your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, this is where you're going to live, this new heaven and New earth. I don't know if you'll live in the new Jerusalem. I don't know if you're going to have your own farm out somewhere on the new earth. I don't know exactly how all that's going to work. But that's going to be a place for us to live forever. If your name's not in the Lamb's Book of Life, you'll be not there, but in the lake of fire. What are we saying? Heaven is a place, of, a place that's really big. It's a place of riches. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of radiance. It's a place of righteousness. Number six, heaven is a place of remembrance. I do think we will remember some things. Certainly we won't remember everything. Because every tear is going to be 
wiped away. We know that. The text says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Why, why is this there? Why is this river of life flowing from the throne of God? I think it may be there to remind us that our eternal life comes from God and from God Himself. This river is flowing without evaporation, without condensation, without rainfall. God is causing it to flow. And I think we will be reminded that we have eternal life not by anything that we've done, not because of anything that humans might have done, in the biological realm of life, but that we have eternal life because it comes from God and from God alone. I think we'll be reminded of that. Verse 2 of Revelation 22, Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. I think maybe that tree is there to remind us that there was another tree once upon a time. A tree of choice that God put in the middle of the garden and Adam and, Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and to sin. But maybe that tree is also there to remind us of another tree where the Son of God, Jesus, hung and died and gave His life that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. We'll be looking at this tree in the New Jerusalem, this tree of life, and it's bearing 12 different kinds of fruit, the Bible says, in, in each month. Now, I don't, I don't think there's going to be months there. I don't think there's going to be time there. But I think maybe this is John's way of helping us understand the fruit that this tree is going to be bearing is going to be bearing it in some type of cyclical fashion. New fruit being born out cyclically on this tree of life. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I, I don't know what it is about these leaves, but... Maybe there's something about these leaves that remind us how God has healed the nations by redeeming men and women out of every nation, every tongue, and every tribe and bringing them into this place of eternal healing. Point number seven today is that heaven is a place of release. Chapter 22, verse 3 says, No longer will there be anything accursed. All we've ever known in this life is to live under a curse. It's all we've ever known. We're even ignorant to just how deep the curse really goes, but the curse is going to be gone. No more curse. No more pressure. No more pain. No more pain meds. No more hospitals. No more nursing homes. No more death. No more depression. No more anxiety. All of that, gone. The curse lifted. I, I thought of another song as I was thinking about that this week as a Christmas song. Isaac Watts, Joy to the World. Remember that verse when he says, No more let sin and sorrows grow. No thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Do you remember the next line? Far as the curse is found. All the curses will be replaced by all the blessings. Number eight. Heaven's a place of reunion. Look at verse 3. John says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants. That's us. Together. Servants. The people of God. The redeemed. The saved. 
We're going to be reunited together. We think of back, back across this year and previous years at Grace Life and all the wonderful people that God's called home. There's going to be a great reunion. And we're going to be serving again, side by side. His servants will worship Him. The greatest part of this reunion is not that we're going to be back together with our friends and our family. Praise the Lord that we will. But the greatest news of this reunion is we're all going to be reunited with God. His servants will worship Him. They, look at that, verse 4, they. That's dripping with reunion language. That's a collective pronoun. They, us, together, will see His face. That's the reunion. And His name will be on there. There's another reunion pronoun. Their foreheads, we're together, and night will be no more. They, there's that pronoun dripping with language of reunion. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be there. There it is. John's driving a point home. There is they and there and us, and they will reign forever. Heaven is a place of a great Reunion. We're going to be together and we're going to be with God and we're going to get to see His face. What, what have we learned about heaven today? We learned it's really big. There's riches, refuge, radiance, righteousness, remembrance, release, reunion. And here's the last thing. And I think this is so important to say. Because a lot of you, especially a lot of the younger people here, think, man, I don't, you know, I'm not really go to, ready to go to heaven yet because I'm having so much fun here. Heaven's going to be kind of boring. This big long church service and singing all the time and not really into harps and clouds and robes and just kind of weird. You know why that's weird to you? Because that's not what it's going to be like. It's going to be a real world with real people and a real body with real stuff to do that never gets dull and never gets boring. Just the new Jerusalem. You could spend half an eternity, if there was such a thing, just exploring the capital. How much longer to explore the new earth? Or what if God says, you want, you want to hop on this dragon and fly out into the new heavens and check that out for a while? You want to go on a camping trip for a few thousand years? You know, Pastor, I think you're getting carried away. How? How could I possibly get carried away? With how incredible this place is going to be. The Bible says, eyes not seen, ears not heard. It's not been imagined in the mind of man what God has in store for those who love Him. I am telling you, there will be no boredom. Nothing's going to get old. Number nine, heaven's a place of responsibility. You know, I thought about this the other day. You know the first thing that God gave Adam? Responsibility. There was no sin. There was no curse. And he gave him responsibility. You know why? Because God has made us to flourish when we have responsibility. I would like to take every young man in this room and load his backside up with responsibility. And you watch that young man become a man. Because we are walking in the DNA that God has created us with when we take on responsibility. That's why our society's jacked up today, because nobody's taking responsibility. It's not my job. It's not my fault. I don't care. But when people take responsibility, they, ref they reflect the character of God. Listen, young people, 
Take responsibility. Take on, bite off more than you can chew. All right? Heaven's going to be a place where we get to revel in God-given responsibility. We're going to flourish under this responsibility. Verse 3 again, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants. I told you this is reunion language, but look, we're called servants. We have responsibilities. God will position us to serve Him and to worship Him. They'll see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They'll need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign. We're going to have the responsibility of serving God and worshiping God and reigning with God forever. We are going to get to do, not got to do, we're going to get to do whatever it is that He gives us to do. All you artists in the room, I'm not of your tribe. I wish I were. The boys and girls that I talk to about Jesus, they know I draw the little stick man and sin and all that. And they laugh at me when I draw the little stick figures. I, I, I think you guys laughed at me when I drew the little... But you artists, God may call on you to create something all you builders, He may call on you. He may commission you. He, he may say, hey, I want you to build a, a new vacation spot in that galaxy. Some of you that are really gifted to draw and paint, He may say, hey, I want you to spend a few hours with Moses and paint a portrait. He wants to hang it up. Still working on pride. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Some of you who are really into plants and stuff like that, you may say, hey, I want to I ask you for the next thousand years to be the groundskeeper over this. You may ask, they're all gone. They got raptured. Oh, <laughs> the worship team's gone. He may ask some of you musical people to write a new song. Maybe you need few thousand years to be inspired to do it and he'll set you up with just the right environment to write the perfect song i'm telling you the opportunities to serve a god who is unlimited in his thinking unlimited in his creativity unlimited in his resources and there are no time constraints you're not going to get bored you will never run out of things to do or to see or to explore or to accomplish and your joy will never be diminished. Not a bit. I told somebody after the first service, I, I was reminded as I was preparing this many years ago when I was still in high school, one of my best friends, we were finishing up football practice in two-a-days in August and just... You know, back in those days, they didn't treat you like they treat football players today. They didn't love us back in the late 80s and early 90s. They didn't love us at all. And uh, I remember we are walking back into the field house just about dead. And I remember he said, uh, you know, I think what heaven's going to feel like. I thought that was weird that he said feel like. He said, you know what heaven's going to feel like? When you've been outside in the heat all day and you walk inside and feel the air conditioner for that first second. And he said, I think that's what it's going to feel like the whole time. Sounds good to me. 
Our joy is always going to be full there. And listen, here's what's frustrating for me today, preaching this sermon to you. I've just spent 35 minutes talking about something that I have no clue what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm being honest. I am nothing more here today than a goldfish sealed up in a little sandwich bag trying to explain to you what life in the deep blue sea is all, all about. No clue. And, 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 and the things that you heard and kind of went, oh yeah, that's cool, that's exciting. We're not even close. Not even close. And I'm excited, y'all, today because I'm a heartbeat away. Heartbeat away. I'm not the least bit worried about that. Today I am concerned because there's a whole lot of people that don't know Jesus. I was talking to one young lady in our community this week. I got to share in the gospel with her. I got to the point where I'm talking about Jesus, God's son, what he did on the cross. And I could tell, like she's like into this. And I said, have you ever heard this before? And she looked at me and she said, never, never. Hey, I want us to revel today as God's people and what he has in store for us. But I pray our hearts would be on fire that until we get to that place, we would tell everybody we could how they can be there. And don't you dare think that because we live down here in the Bible Belt that everybody knows they don't know. I'm meeting people almost every single day that don't know. They don't know. And we get to tell them. And if you think heaven's exciting, wait till the day you lead somebody to Jesus for the first time. There's nothing on this planet that compares to that. God, we bow our hearts before you so grateful that you are preparing a place for us and that you will come again so that where you are, we can be also. Heaven is not our reward for loving you. It is our reward for you loving us. Even while we were sinners, you loved us and gave your son to die for us, to give us eternal life. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, have you trusted Christ? Has anybody told you about Jesus? Do you know how much God loves you, that he gave his only son to save you, to give you eternal life? If not, I'd love to introduce you to Jesus today. You may be one heartbeat away. I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time mulling that over. You're here today and you know that you know Jesus. Are you sharing that with somebody else? Have you taken for granted that the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people that you come in contact with? This young lady was working the drive through window at a restaurant down the road from us. Didn't know Jesus. Never heard of him. Not in that sense. An opportunity before us, church. Heaven's big. We're not going to run out of space. Let's tell everybody we can. Lord Jesus, stir our hearts up today for heaven. And to tell the good news to everybody that we can. 